You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Terry Riley titled, Show Our Love for God, Part 2, from the sermon series, Love. For more information, please visit creekside.org. If you would, uh, take out your notes there. Uh, We're going to finish what I started last week. Let's have a little fun. Let's get you involved. We've been talking about kind of the three areas of love that I believe are so critical for our lives. Number one, uh, that everybody understands that God loves you. God loves people. God loves everybody. He doesn't have his favorites. Everybody is loved by this great God. And then secondly, once we understand how much we're loved by him, we begin to love him back. And sometimes we don't understand what that looks like. Sometimes it's just kind of like it's a feeling, it's a thought. You know, we come to church and a great worship set or maybe a good word. And we go away feeling inspired and good. So we feel like, oh man, I really love God today. And is it just that? Is it just a feeling? And then next week, we're going to talk about how to love people and get ready for Easter and that we love people like God loves people. So here's a couple of questions and I want you to answer them true or false if you agree. Let's see. Uh, Kind of give full voice. Let's see which one wins on each answer. Which one in these statements is true and is false from your perspective? So I'll, after I'll read the statement, then I'll say, how many say true? You yell out true. And then I'll say false, and you yell out false. Here's the first one. Love will keep us together. Is that true? Or is it, <laughs> or is it false? How many say true? How many say false? False have it. Yeah, Captain and Toenail uh, did that song. And uh, love is... Love is critical, but I don't know that love will always keep you together. That's better to have loved and lost than to never have loved at all. How many say that's true? True. How many say it's false? You've lost, haven't you, huh? (laughs) I get it. I get it. All you need is love. How many say that's true? How many say it's false? false? There you go. There you go. The more love you give, the less you get. How many say that's true? How many say it's false? Okay. Love is a many splendored thing. How many say that's true? How many say it's false? Wow. There's some real bummed out lovers here, aren't there? That's one I would definitely say is true, because when you find love, man, it's a, it is an incredibly splendid, splendid thing. I, I've lived long enough to know uh, where love has kind of made a fool of me at times. Have you ever done anything foolish in the name of love? I find through the years that um, sometimes the more you love, the harder it is, and the worse it comes back to you. Not always, but sometimes. But I'm also one that believes that, listen, it's better to have loved and to have lost than never to have loved at all. 
I always wanted to experience uh, growing up in my home. And I've, I've told you my story, but I've always wanted. Um, I just always, I had my friends and I saw their homes. I always wanted this typical family where love was expressed. And I knew that I was loved by the people in my family. But because it was so disjointed, I never really felt that. So I'd all, I was always doing things, uh, trying to get this family love. And while we can all be made fools because of how or what we love or the ways that we love, the truth is most of us don't have any problem with being a little bit foolish if we know in the end we're going to be loved. Most of us pursue love. Most of us want to be loved. And most of us are even haunted if we wonder, is my love being expressed and received by somebody else? I was flying home from Southern California yesterday knowing that I was going to be finishing this talk today. And I was just, for a moment, I was overcome as we're flying over Southern Cal. Just the mass of humanity thinking, God, there's so many people there that have no idea of your love. There's so many people that don't even experience the true love of other people. And in their brokenness, they don't know how to receive it or how to give it, because there's something about the human story that just about all of us, we all know that we want love. We'll do just about anything for love. That's why God, that's why Jesus came in the flesh and we celebrate him at Christmas. Because we had these people that had this skewed perspective, this, this misunderstanding that God was simply this God way out there that was just kind of remotely involved in their lives. And it wasn't always positive. So they said, we're going to change this. And so Jesus comes in the flesh and he says, I want you to see the love of God in totality. I want you to see what it looks like, what it feels like. And so he came and showed us this God who came in the flesh and he said, I'm going to live among you and I'm going to bleed for you and I'm going to die for you and I'm going to show you what the language, what the expression of love looks like. And that's what we want to just be reminded of today, God's love for us. But more importantly, here's the question. Does God know that you love him? Well, yeah, yeah, sure, God knows. He, sure he knows. Well, here's the deal. How does he know? How does God know that you really love him? I'm sure, don't raise your hand, but some of us have had relationships. Maybe it's with a best friend. Maybe it's with a spouse where you've lived with them for a while and you've looked at them and you've kind of gone, do you really love me? And you go, what? Sure. Well, it sure doesn't feel like it. sure doesn't seem like it. What are they saying? What they're really saying is you're not showing it to me. I'm not picking up the vibe that you really love me. And see, sometimes I wonder if God goes, do they really love me? How How do we know that we love God? And how does God know that he loves us? Well, on your outline notes there, I listed the seven things that we looked at last week. And I just want to give you a few more this week. First of all, because it says in all of these passages at some point, it talks about loving God. It talks about the love of God, what loving what God loves, and that's the first thing, is that people who love God, they love what God loves. 
Psalm 119, 97 says this, how I love your instruction. It is my meditation all day long. See, when you love the Lord, it'll be seen in what you love that you know that you're loving the things that he loves. Here's the first thing. Do you love his word? Do you love the Bible? And I'm not talking about making it King James, the, 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 the central point of your life over King Jesus. But is there a place that, where you go, the Bible is my guide. The Bible is my map. It's where I receive my encouragement. It's where I receive my marching orders. It's where I learn of Jesus. Do I see this book as simply a love letter from God? Not just some kind of manual, not some kind of do's and don'ts book, but do I see it as the love letter that God has given to me? If you do, you're loving what God loves because God loves his word. Did you, under, you, you do know that heaven's going to be run by that book because it's eternal. There's two things that are eternal, people and this word, which brings us to the second thing, are you loving people? Because God loves his word, but he also, he loves people and he loves relationship. It can be so hard to love sometimes, isn't it? I mean, aren't there just people that you go, I really don't think I can love them. Sometimes we love people and there's not a return on that love. As a matter of fact, sometimes we love people and there's a major deficit that comes back. And so what do we do? We begin to kind of insulate or even isolate ourselves. And we just say, you know what? I'm not going to love anymore. And here's the problem. God says, no, no, no. That's not how you're going to roll. Because if you love me, you're going to love people. Because see, when God loves people, he doesn't see them just as they are. He takes them where they are. But he sees the incredible potential that is in them. He sees where they're going to be, not where they are. And that's why he's able to love people. Not only because it's in his essence and who he is, but it's because he always sees the potential, the possibility, the God image in every person. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 13, he's sitting with the disciples. It's the last supper. And he looks around and he's serving them and he's washing their feet and they're eating together. And at one point it says that Jesus loved them to the end. To the end of what? To the end of his life? No. To the end of their life? No. He loved them to the end, which means, you know what? He's still loving them because he died just hours later. He resurrected. And guess what? The scripture says that he's still praying for you and I. He's still overseeing. He's still loving us today. He will love us tomorrow and through eternity. There's no end to his love. That's what it means he loves him to the end. It's just this internal love that just keeps going on and on. Some of you are here today and you go, well, that sounds really sweet. Nice preacher talk. That sounds really good. And some of you are writing in your life. You're writing with a pencil. And you're writing words like loneliness and shame and despair. That that's what your life feels like. And here's what I want to challenge some of us today. Maybe you're thinking, maybe you're feeling some of those things in your life. Do this, take your pencil and turn it the other way and begin to erase those words and put in there, God loves me and I am going to love him because of that love. I was golfing a couple of times this last week and I love going to golf courses. 
that have this one thing. It's pencils with erasers. <laughs> because if, if, if you're a golfer, you understand that a lot of golf courses, they have these little small pencils, but there's no eraser. So if you kind of mess up, it's really hard to erase it. And see, some of our lives are made up like that. And for some of us, it's time that we quit listening to everything in the past and we begin to erase it. See, First John, in First John 4, John's writing and he says, God is love. The essence of who he is is love. And love comes from God. And it says if you're born of God, guess what? You're going to love one another. I don't like this, but he says if you don't love one another, you're dead. You, you, you don't have life. Because that's the expression of God is that you love. And you give and you have life. And we're an expression of his love, loved ones. If you look at this whole world, if you look at everything that is here, everything is an expression of what God has provided for you and how he loves you. But isn't it true so many people have kind of done a disservice in Christ's name? We act as if God is all about filling us with guilt and with shame and with despair and with doing and don't do and, and all of those things. We begin to talk about God's wrath and his judgment and his anger for people and things. And I want to say, don't hear this wrong, there are things, there is going to become a time for his wrath and his judgment, and there is time for his anger. But we forget that, that when John is speaking, in John 3.16, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And it goes on, and we forget 17, that said, And Jesus came not to judge the world. Oh, yes, there's going to come a time for that. But you see, people walk around a lot of times because of the way Christians communicate about him, and they just see him as this God who's out to get us. But you know what? That's an expression usually of who we are. I mean, think about it. If you were God, wouldn't you want to just take care of some things? <laughs> if you were God... Wouldn't you just like to take care of a few people? Thank God that we're not. And he's, he is, and he says, you know what? This is my goal, is that I love and I give grace and I bring people to me. Trust can be hard because people are not always trustworthy. But Jesus shows us, remember Peter? He's the one that ends up denying Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He calls him back. He never gave up on Peter. And you know what? Love doesn't give up. You not only love what God loves, but you also love when he loves. See, it's, it, love in our lives when it comes, unless it's for those in our immediate circle, is seldom about a convenient love or a love because you get something bad. It's simply a, a back. It's simply because of a decision. The reason I'm convinced that there's so many tragedies in our world today is because when people get what they want from somebody, it's so easy to discard them. It is so easy 
for us to love things and use people. And when we feel like their expiration date is up, bye-bye, I don't need you anymore. I'm so thankful that God doesn't operate on that premise. You want to know if you're loving God? Here's what you're going to know. You're going to be loving his word, and you're going to be loving people the way that he does, not because it's convenient, not because you necessarily get something in return, but because God loves them, and God sees the potential of his life in them. Secondly, people that love God, they're broken over what breaks Jesus' heart. Matthew 26, 75 says this, and Peter remembered the words that Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times, and then he went outside and he wept bitterly. A great example of what we're talking about is Peter. Remember, he's the guy, man. He's the the open mouth, insert foot. He was always speaking and saying what he would do, and very seldom did he was he able to do it. He tells the Lord, Lord, listen. All of these other losers here, they may deny you, they may leave you, but I'm going to go to the end with you. I'll die for you. And Jesus looks at him and says, listen, friend, this is what you're going to do. You're going to deny me three. Oh, no. And then what happens? He ends up denying him three times. I believe it's the gospel of Mark that we see Jesus walking by him and literally it's like he he catches Peter's eye. And we see here in this passage that Peter, after he hears the cock crow three times, for the third time, what happens? He realizes that Jesus, he's denied Jesus. J. Hudson Taylor, a missionary to China, he used to He'd get up in the morning. He was a great missionary. He'd get up in the morning, and the first person that he would see, he would ask him this question. He'd say, good morning. Have you repented today? I like that. Now, here's here's what it doesn't mean. See, we think of repentance kind of like being in a church service, and we have this big altar call, and maybe people come up here, and and they're broken, and they're crying, and they're sobbing, and they're snot running out of their nose, and and they're just, you know, they're they're all over the place. Uh, That can be an act of repentance or part of it. But ultimately, what J. Hudson Taylor is saying when he saw somebody, he's saying, listen, friend, have you repented today? Have you opened your life to God? Have you made it possible that if he says, I want to adjust your attitude, I want to adjust your altitude, I want you to change something, I want you to do something, I want something in your life to go a different direction, are you willing to do that? See, are there things in your life, loved ones, when Jesus comes and he says, are you willing to change this? Will you do this at my word? See, that's the idea of you'll you'll, you'll love what God loves, but you'll also not do what God doesn't want you to do. You'll begin to move and to live your life on that basis. See, after Peter denies the Lord, what does he do? He says he goes outside and he weeps bitterly. You know what I love about that is Jesus comes back to him. He doesn't leave him in that broken state. He might have walked by him, but he was going to be crucified, and it was just days later. What does he do? He comes up to Peter on the seashore. And he says, hey, Peter, come here. What does he ask him? Three times. After he denies him three times, he says, Peter, I I just got a question for you. Do you love me? He goes, yeah, yeah, I, I Yeah, and it's kind of this brotherly love I've got for you. And he asks him three times because he begins to want to remove 
those things of his heart and his life that he'd already done before the Lord. Because he's broken because he knows what he's done. Do, do you dislike, do you have a disdain, do you stand against the things that break Jesus' heart? That's going to tell, whether, that's going to show when you love him. How about this one? Do, do you look for his return? Do you look for his return? It's not something we talk about a lot, is it? We don't talk about Jesus coming back. And, and I think that's kind of sad because I remember uh, when I was a teenager, it was 19, I think it was 77. There was a book that came out a year or two early. It was called The Late Great Planet Earth. It was scaring literally the hell out of people. Because it talked that Jesus was going to come back, I mean, soon. And so everybody, you know, man, they wanted to get, they wanted to get right with God, including me as a 17-year-old. And it really influenced me and shaped me. Now, here's the sad part. He didn't come in probably the late 70s or 80s like they had talked about it. And, and now, 30, 40 years later, I don't think a lot about the Lord coming. And there's something that, uh, that John wrote. He said that when we see him, we will become like him. And, and when we're anticipating his coming, it, it, it has this effect on us. And Paul said it this way in 2 Timothy 4.8. He said, there is, there is reserved for me in the future the crown of righteousness. This is kind of like Paul's last will and testament. These are some of the last words that he writes. And he says, there's reserved for me in the future the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only me, but everyone else that follows Christ and Creeksiders, and to all of those who have loved his appearing. Wow. You want to know how you're loving God? You know how God knows you love him? Because you're anticipating it's on your mind that you know Jesus could come back at any time and that affects the way that you live, the way you think. And he says, make every effort, Timothy, to come to me for Demas has deserted me because he loved this present world. <laughs> Paul's kind of holding in dynamic tension in juxtaposition there. Are you looking, are you loving the possibility that Jesus could come at any day or are you loving this present world more? What are you looking for? See, we live in this world and uh, there might be guests here today, I don't know, but <clears throat> if you know me, you know I, I, I'm not against having things or good things or nice things or fun things or whatever. I'm not against that. Here's the question always. Do you have them or do they have you? Is that the thrust of your life? Is that the love of your life? I mean, I mean just, it's silly, I know, but take these two chairs. I got one hand over here, I've got the things of the world. You know, I love it. My cars, my house, bigger home, whatever it is. And over here is Jesus, his kingdom. I'm going to get pretty tired carrying both of these things around, aren't I? And pretty soon, I can't really fully embrace either one of these, and what am I going to do? At some point, I'm going to have to drop one. You know what Paul's saying? Paul says, you know what? If you really love God, you're going to be able to let go of anything in the world so that you can fully embrace me. Because at some point, there's going to be 
this, this entanglement. And you're going to have to be able to make a decision. It doesn't mean you can't have nice things. It doesn't mean you can't go nice. It just means what's going to control you. <coughs> Excuse me. The true function of these chairs is what? It's to sit in. You're not going to be very stable for very long if you get up and down out of both of these chairs. Pretty soon, they're going to be kind of splitting apart. And if you don't pay attention, you're going to fall right in the middle of them. And you're not going to have either. Do you want to know if you're really loving God? Is that you're beginning to keep your eyes saying, Lord, I know you could come today. And because you know he could come today, sooner or later, it's going to begin to affect how you live each day. I don't want to be like a Demas. Well, you know. Because if you read the story of Demas, what you're going to find is, is that he, he, he ended up kind of going south over time. Paul first mentions him in Philemon 24, and he says that Demas is a co-laborer in the gospel. And then he mentions him a couple of years later in Colossians. And just within a year or two, Paul would just simply say, hey, Demas, greet you. He doesn't say my friend by co-labor. He just says, hey, by the way, he's just sending a greeting. And so by the time he comes to the end of Paul's life, Paul says, you know something? He's gone. See, that's the one thing. Man, you want to be loving God, loved ones. You want to be looking for his appearing. I, uh, a couple, some time ago, um, all of our families in Oregon, and uh, my wife went to Oregon. You know, we've been together now 43 years. And uh, yeah, it's a long time. You know, when she's, when she, in a good way, in case she, I'm sure she's in here somewhere hiding now. But when, 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 she, went to, when she went to Oregon, it was, it was just a really hard time. I mean, now I don't like being away from her. You know why? I just love her so much. After 43 years, when she leaves, I come home, I don't know what to eat. <laughs> you know? I think I'll go to Kinder's. You know, and I get enough for four days or five or however long she's gone. I don't know what to do. If I'm not careful, I forget to take out the garbage until it starts stinking. Because she does that. And then I forget because she does this too. She's, she takes out the garbage, each, you know, at the end of the week to put it on the side of the street. And if I forget that, then she comes home, we got more garbage, and then it's not a happy homecoming, you know? I kind of have this disequilibrium in my life. Because she's gone. I don't, she's not there with me. It's hard to sleep at night. And then I'll call her in the evening. And I'll start to talk to her and say things like, I'm not going to tell you. But I'll, 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 I'll be talking to her. And, and I'll go, wow, I can't wait till she gets home. And then when she comes home, it's normal again. See, when people love Jesus, how he knows the way is, is there's, it's not like this, oh, God, hurry and come, but there's this sense of, God, I'm going to live my life on the basis of knowing you could come today, and I can't wait. And I am ready to see you. How does God know we love him? Because we follow him. We follow his word. We follow his commands. The apostle John, he said it this way. 
The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Hmm. Isn't it the one who sings to you? Isn't it the one that raises their hands to you? Isn't it the one that gives to you? The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will also love him and reveal myself to them. And there's a few layers there if you picked it up, friends. It says, first of all, when you love him, you keep his commands, what's going to happen is you're going to know God's love, and then you're going to know my love, and then... I'm going to reveal myself to you. You're going to see me. You're going to know me. There's going to be this revelation that goes on. You're going to go, I know God. And Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, they will keep my word. My Father will love them. And we will come and make our home with them. God's going to live with us. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but it is from the Father who sent me. People don't like when I say this, but God's lo- God, God is unconditional love. Say that with me so you don't get this mixed up. Say it with me. God is unconditional love. That's his essence. First John 4 says God is love. Here's what people don't like. God's love has conditions. says it right here. If you love me, you keep my commands. That's the conditions to fully experience the expression of who God is and his love for you. John writes this gospel, the gospel of John and, and then 1 John. When he writes the gospel, you know what he does? He talks about the other disciples and he, and he says, You know, and Peter did this, and Peter did that, and James was over here, and James did that. He mentions all of the gospels, all the uh, disciples by name, except himself. What does he say about himself? He doesn't say, and John did this, third person. He says, and the disciple whom Jesus loved. I'll bet that kind of ticked off the other disciples, don't you think? Who are you? but he's known as the disciple of love. See, if you want to know about theology, read Paul's writings. If you want to know about ethics, read James. But if you want to know about the heart of Christianity and love, read John. God's heart and greatest desire, loved ones, is for us to be with him and that we come home to him. It's all about relationship. That's what Christianity is about, that we would show our love for him and then that would begin to bleed out into other areas. I love what the psalmist said in 119.32. He said, I run the course of your commandments for you shall enlarge my heart. I just run. Man, I, 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 just, I, I do this exercise through what you have for me, God, that what you want me to do, I'm going to do. I'm going to run in it. And you know what's going to happen in the process? My heart's going to grow. It's going to grow for you. It's going to grow for the people around me. I'm going to become more like you because my heart is going to be changed and made greater. How many of you have kids here? Raise your hand if you do. Yeah, yeah. Raise your hand if you love your kids. Oh, I see more hands. Oh, I don't want to lose that one. Uh, kids might be in here, you know. 
How many of you, and raise your hands on this, how many of you go home at night, just every once in a while, randomly, periodically, I'm going to make my, I'm going to make their life miserable. I'm going to tell them to do something just because I can. And you just say, I am going to bust them on this one. How many of you just say, that's me. Yeah, there's some of you meanies. None of us do that. We, we just, we just don't operate that way. People think that that's what God does. And when we begin to hear things like, obey my commands, you, you, you talk to people on the street. Some of you in here, you probably think, oh, not me, man. I'm American. Land of the free, home of the brave. Pull yourself up. No sovereign over me. And we forget that God says, you're my child. You're my daughter. You're my son. I don't do these. I don't put these things on you to make it heavy and hard and difficult. I do it because I want to protect you and I love you. I, I'm like the perfect dad that's going to take care of you. And sometimes even when we talk about God's commands, we go, well, you know, I'm really not into that. You know what obedience really means? It means to hear under. It means that you placed yourself under someone that when you hear them, you're going to move on it because you love them. And you trust them. See, disobedience, the things that we don't do that God wants us to do or we do do that we know God doesn't want us to do, sometimes it's not just the action, it's the fact that we don't hear. We're really not committed and submitted and trusting him, so when we hear, we don't respond. Have you ever had a hearing problem? What percentage of the day are you thinking about Christ and talking to him and saying, Lord, I just want to hear your voice? Kind of like J. Hudson Taylor. How much are you thinking about him? Conversing with him, listening to him. Uh, sometimes we don't hear God for a few reasons. We don't want to hear him. Because we know some of the things that he's going to say. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to deal with it. Uh, maybe it's, we're just not paying attention. When I was growing up, parents would talk to me. I had this thing called a huh problem. Have you, have you ever said that, Huh? I mean, when I was a kid, it was a joke. Huh? I mean, they would say anything. You want to eat dinner? Huh? It wasn't just when they asked me to do it. It, was, it just became a habit. And then pretty soon, you know, my parents would always get mad at me. And you always say, huh? I go, huh? You know? And uh, it, was, it was just a habit. And sometimes I would hear them. Sometimes I just wasn't paying attention. Some of us have that with God. Huh? Maybe some of us have some impediments in our hearing. Too much information, I know, but when I, was, when I was in third or fourth grade, you know how you do, remember how you used to put those head things on, you'd hear these squeals or squeaks, and it was a hearing test? I did that in, one, in third or fourth grade, and they said I couldn't hear out of my left ear. So they sent me to the doctor to find out what was wrong. You know what he did? Dug a, dug a rock out of my ear. No wonder I couldn't hear. I, you know, some of you probably got some impediments in your ear where you go, I, I can't hear what the Lord's saying because there's things in your life that just are clogging the system. But the greatest joy loved ones that we'll have is when we set ourselves, not perfectly, but we set ourselves to hear what God is speaking to us. 
Acts 11.26 says this. It was in Antioch that they first called them Christians. You know what Christian means? It means little Christ. Christ means anointed one. So there's this sense of we have this being set apart, anointed to be set apart. We have this being set apart. We're little Christ because we follow him. The name of Christ, the name of Christian, the name of Jesus, it's a name that we can trust. It's a name that's powerful. It's a name that gives life. It's a name that we want to honor with who we are, what we do, what we say, how we love. I told a lot of stories about my grandpa Riley. He was the most significant man in my life growing up because I lived with him and, and Grandma Riley from the time I was in, uh, the time I was about two till heading into first grade when my dad remarried. And then I lived with him again after my fifth grade, uh, during the summer of my, after fifth grade. And grandpa was that guy, I told you this, he was the face in the crowd. He's the one that, he's the only one in my family that came to my sports. And so whenever he was there, I'd pick him out. I go, okay, good. I, I'm playing for somebody. I love Grandpa Riley. And I told you that he was a moseyer. You know, he's just moseyed. He retired early because of some health issues. But here's what I know about Grandpa Riley. He loved Terry. He spent time with me, just moseying around. Talked slow. Didn't talk a lot. Well, one day I was in high school. It was 1974. It was in between my junior and senior year. Uh, my family at that time ended up taking a trip across the United States. So they were gone for six weeks. I was 16 years old. I stayed back because I had to work and I had basketball, uh, summer basketball. And so I had a lot of my, one night I had a bunch of my uh, summer, uh, my basketball friends come over and we had this big party. Now you have to understand, I'm not, but, but I wasn't a bad kid growing up. I basically lived on my own most of my life, but I was a pretty, I did bad things like anybody, but I wasn't a bad kid for what I could have done. But I had this party. I had 10 of my basketball friends came over. So what did we do? We drank beer and smoked cigars. Isn't that what high schoolers do if they're going to do something silly? Maybe not now, sorry, but... Um, <laughs> So we had all this, we drank all this Budweiser, and we were just, it was, it was really stupid and silly. And um, that morning, they got up and left, and I'm there, crashed out on the couch, and there's cans and cigar stogies all over the place. And all of a sudden, there's a knock on the door. I'm in my skivvies, I get up, I look out the window of the door, it's Grandpa Riley. I'm dying. I open the door, hi Grandpa, I'm 16. He comes in, he walks into the dining room, on the dining room table are probably, I don't know, 20 or 30 empty bottles of Budweiser and cigar things. You know what he does? He goes over and sits down. So I sit down. Hi, Grandpa. <laughs> you know what he does? He starts talking to me about how I'm doing. He goes, you got a basketball game in a couple of days, don't you? I go, yeah. Are you going to come? And, you know, it's just for 20 minutes, we're just talking. 
and I'm waiting for something to happen. And it does. You know what he does? He gets up, moseyed up, and he starts picking up all the beer cans. He starts taking them into the kitchen. He starts cleaning up my mess. And now I really feel bad because this is the most important man in my life that I never wanted to disappoint because he's the face in the crowd that I always saw. You know what he always said to me growing up? Hey, don't forget you're a Riley. I never really got it. But he always said, don't forget you're a Riley. Live like a Riley. He's cleaning up, and at some point he said, Terry, don't forget you're a Riley. It broke me. I never said sorry to him. He, you know, he, he left and never said one thing about what happened. You're a Riley. You see a picture here. I put this together. Uh, this is my grandson who I love more than just about anything in the whole wide world. Uh, first picture up on the upper left was uh, four years ago, first time he played baseball. I was standing and I go, Riley. And then the one below is three years ago, he was at the parade. Both of those are from the parade. I go, Riley. And then the other upper right-hand one is last year. Oh, Riley. This picture here, I gave it to him. I kept one for me, but I made one for him. You know what I tell my grandson? You're a Riley. Don't forget it. You're a Riley. He's got these pictures every time he goes into his room. Don't forget. You're a Riley. Probably another month, I'll have a fourth picture up there with his name. I don't ever want him to forget from his grandpa that he's a Riley. He represents his dad. He represents me. He represents my father and he represents my grandfather because he's a Riley. You know what I have to be reminded of sometimes? This is my title. Christ follower. You know who my audience of significance is now? My audience of one is Jesus Christ. And that means something. And I want him to know every day in every way that I love him. And I am not perfect at it, believe me. I forget that he's coming. I don't always repent in the morning and say whatever. I still have home problems. But here's the ultimate thing I don't want to forget that he loves me and I love him and I want to have his name on my back Christ because I know what he's done for me I know what he's done for you finishing up the last two weeks what am I saying you know that all things work together for good for those who love God 
Why doesn't he say things like, all things work together for those who are saved. All things work together for those who are committed. All things work together for those who are faithful, for those who give. Because what God wants first and foremost is your love. Because he knows when he gets your love, you will begin to do the other 10, 12, however many things there are. Why why is John called the disciple of love? Why does John, the main theme of his writing, why is it love for God and for people? You know why? I just figured it out. Because he knew God loved him. That's why he wrote the disciple whom Jesus loved. Does that mean he was loved more or that God loved the others less? Not at all. He was just so aware that God loved him and changed his life. That's why he talked about love. That's why at the end of his life, he was the only apostle that didn't die. Excuse me, that didn't, wasn't martyred, beheaded, killed. He died of old age, probably in his 90s. Story goes that they would, that he couldn't walk very well at the end, so they would take him around on a cart, and on the way to church on Sunday mornings, he'd see all these people, and he was revered as John, the apostle whom Jesus loved. And what would he do? This is all we'd say. Love one another, friends. Love one another. Love one another. Why? Because then you'll know your loving God. Would you stand with me? Some of us, it's possible that some of us are here and we wonder, why don't I feel God's love? Why don't I feel love for him? And maybe because you're not loving. Or you're not convinced that this God is really a God that loves you. We're going to talk about what that means coming home to him on Easter. But maybe you're not convinced today to now that he really does. And my prayer is just simply that you would. And here's what I'm going to invite you to do. You may be a guest today, don't. But those of us who would call Creekside our home, I want to invite you. Scripture says, Jesus said, come unto me as a little child. Not childish, not silly, but child. Come to me like a child, childlikeness. What does a child do when they see their mommy and their daddy? They reach out to them. And maybe some of you feel like you have a love deficit. You have a love deficit because you're not sure God really loves you or he could step into your mess like Grandpa Riley and just begin to help you and clean it up because he loved you. And you just see him, he'd come and condemn you and start spilling the cans all over. No, he'd come and clean up and say, I want to help you with your mess. But you're not convinced of that because you see him in all of his anger. And here's what I want just to invite you to do is just to lift your hands like this. 
Because this is how my kids used to come to me. This is how my grandson comes to me. Papa, Daddy. And I want you to sing this, this little chorus. Most of us know it's Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. We are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Would you just bow your heads for a moment and I want to pray over you before we go. Just a moment of vulnerability and no one's looking around, but I just sense that in both of our service today, there are probably people that just feel like, you know, I'm really not sure God loves me or God has accepted me. And if you don't believe that, loved ones, you'll never be able to truly love people around you. It just, we love because God first loved us. And if you're someone that would just vulnerably and humbly just raise your hand, I'd like to pray for you today and just... Just raise your hand if you'd say, you know, I'm not sure about the, that God could really love me. I'm in too big of a mess, or I've been coming from, or I've come from too big a mess. Anybody here that would just say today, I, I just need to know that God loves me. And I want to take a moment to pray for you this morning. Anybody here? Awesome. Good, good. Father, I thank you. Every person in this room, when they walk out of here today, they're going to know, they're going to believe, they're going to sense, they're going to be convinced of your love. Now I pray, Lord, that that would translate from our life as we'll be talking about next week, that because you love us, we love you. And because we love you, we know we can take your love to other people today, tomorrow, this week. So, Lord, remind us of this day that you do love us. And because of that, we're going to go this week. We're going to love people. Lord, I thank you for bringing this group of people together today. Let them know, let them walk in the love of Jesus Christ. We want to give you thanks, Lord, for your grace that is sufficient for everything we face. Bless these people as they go now. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You're loved. God bless you. Have a great day.